We're so excited uh, that you're here, so excited, especially if you've never been or this is like one of your first times here at the church to be a part of it, uh, because today is kind of the day for us. Today is a day that we celebrate, we honor what Jesus has done, but we're also so optimistic about what he can do in our lives because of today. And uh, it is such a good day uh, to, to celebrate. I recognize, though, that we've, we've probably have people in the house that have never been, never been here. But I know we got people online who maybe never watched before. So if, if you're new, my name is John. I get to serve as a pastor here. And uh, for the last six almost years, got to serve in this role. And I'm really thankful for all that God has done. But I figured it'd be good to give you like three random facts about me before we keep going. Okay, are you good with that? Three random facts. Okay, first random fact is I love to run. Now, not when I'm being chased. I just do it for fun. You know, like I like being outside. I like going out on the trails. I was out yesterday afternoon and I was like, I'm actually sweating. What is this stuff? Like I didn't even know I could do that anymore. It's so cold. And it was beautiful. Like Lindsay and I have done a bunch of races together. We really enjoy running. The second thing, and if you've been around church, you may know this, my family is slowly getting overrun with women. Okay, so I've been married almost 10 years to Lindsay. I've got an almost two-year-old daughter named Lennon, and then I've got a daughter on the way who's supposed to be here on Friday, and we're still just waiting. So who knows? I may leave early. Maybe the shortest Easter sermon you've ever heard, but, <laughs> but all that to say, I'm, I'm really excited uh, to be here anyway. But the third is that I recently got into sourdough. You know what I'm talking about? Like sourdough, fresh-baked bread? Eating it, eating it, I should be clear. Eating that bread. Okay, Lindsay's the one who bakes that bread. I eat that bread. I'm the official taste tester. And she started making it about six, five, six months ago. And so I've been super spoiled. Like she started to get into it and then slowly over time just perfected the craft of baking a beautiful, aesthetically pleasing and pleasing to the, the nose sourdough loaf. And so for the last couple months, I have had sourdough bread in the morning for breakfast, sometimes at lunch for a little snacky, and then sometimes at dinner as a side to my other uh, entrees and the other sides. And the thing that really strikes me is that we had this conversation a couple nights ago where she leaned over and she's like, because I was making another piece of sourdough. It's like, sorry, I sound really fat doing this, but it's just true. I just like bread. So I, I kind of leaned over. She leaned over the counter and she's like, aren't you kind of like sick of eating sourdough bread at this point? And I said, heck no, this stuff is amazing. Like I would eat this all the time. Like you just have made it so delicious. And she said, uh, she was just like struck by it, and she was just shocked that how much I liked this bread. But you've probably heard the phrase familiarity breeds contempt. Maybe you've heard this, right? If familiarity breeds Contempt. The, the idea is that the longer you're around something, the more you grow to kind of be passive about it or, or maybe even resent it or despise it. It's like when something keeps coming up in your life, you start to become numb to it. Now, I know that in a room of this size and knowing where we are and, and, and some of our stories, that a lot of us grew up around the Easter story. Like what we're talking about today is not brand new to many of us, if not all of us. It's a familiar uh, story. It's a familiar set of news. But I want to kind of share with you today, I think for some of us, there's a tendency to move what was good news, what was someone who was dead coming back to life and, and redeeming and resurrecting all of humanity, what was good news has slowly become, maybe for you too, boring news. 
news that's familiar, news that's old, news that's in a book that maybe you read, maybe you don't, that, that it's slowly moved, maybe from that category, even in your world, from good news to boring news. But today, I want to ask you to make a firm decision about this news. In the next couple of minutes, I'm going to ask you to make a decision about this good news, about what we just sang about, about the story that we're about to kind of dive into, because we're talking today about resurrection. And either resurrection means everything or it means nothing at all. And when this story begins in John chapter 20, is one of the accounts we're going to look at. In John 20, you find some characters. You find Mary and a few disciples. And Mary was a close friend of Jesus. She mourned his death. If you've lost someone close to you, you know that pain, you know the grief you walk in. She's walking in this. And the other disciples who had given their entire lives to follow this rabbi, and then only to watch him hang on a, a Roman cross, be crucified, and then buried in a borrowed tomb, their hopes were dashed, their dreams were shattered. And you find those exact characters showing up to Jesus's tomb to help kind of prepare his body for final steps towards, towards burial. And they show up and they find what none of us, none of them for sure expected to find. They find a rock, a large rock removed from the cave opening where Jesus's body should have been. And they're, they're, they're struck. I mean, their, their grief somehow gets to another level. Their mourning goes to a deeper place than it already was because they were not expecting resurrection. They were expecting to find Jesus' body. And when they show up, their only conclusion, it says that they believe, verse 8, they believed that the body had been moved or desecrated or were stolen by other people. They were not expecting Jesus to fulfill the good news he had shared on earth. They were expecting a dead body. And into that news, believing, they believed news, but it wasn't life-changing, life-transforming news. Their news was that this body had been removed, that their hopes had been dashed once more. There was news, but it wasn't the kind of news that changes you forever. And into that grief and into this pain, read with me, if you have your Bible or phone, John 20, verse 11. John 20, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And Mary responds, they have taken my Lord away, she said and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Why would you, right? You expected to find someone who had been crucified on a Roman cross, ripped to shreds by Roman torture tactics, and then buried in someone's tomb. He didn't even have his own. You're not expecting a conversation with that person. And she doesn't recognize, she didn't see that Jesus is, is the one standing there. And Jesus, in all of the mercy, all the compassion, all the grace, you can almost hear the love and the tenderness in this question. He says, woman, why are you crying? What are you looking for? Why are you crying? What are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, 
please just tell me where I've put him and I'll go get him. Like if you're the one who moved my rabbi's body from where it was supposed to be to somewhere else where I don't know, where all of us disciples, we can't mourn, we can't grieve properly, we can't uphold Jewish custom, we don't know where the body is. If you know where it is, could you please just tell me? I'm not going to be mad. I'm not going to report you. Just tell me and listen to how Jesus responds. Jesus said to her, Mary, he just says her name. It's almost like he knew her. It's almost like this relationship that he had had with Mary for many years was kind of summed up in that one word, Mary. He just says her name. Jesus said to her, Mary, and you can imagine the awe in Mary's reaction, right? She turns to him and cries out, Rabboni, which is rabbi, teacher, teacher. And Jesus says to her, don't hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news Good news, friends. She she says to them, she runs back to her community, back to her friends, back to her family and says, guys, I have seen the Lord. And they're like, what? (laughs) What Lord? What are you talking about? She says, I've seen the risen Lord. In other words, she's saying, hey, the good news that he was going to rise again, it's still good. He does. That's the hope of Easter. The good news, friends, it's still good. It's not tired. It's not overwhelmed by your sin or my sin. It's not exhausted by how many Easter services we celebrate. The good news is still good. Scholar theologian N.T. Wright puts it this way. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ. And here's the catch. You now belong to it. You can belong to it that the kingdom is, is no longer closed off, that the family of God is no longer for somebody else. The, the behaviors and the patterns and the ways of thinking and the sin and the addiction you carry does not exclude you any longer from being a part of God's family. All you have to do is embrace the good news. That's what he's saying. The good news, friends, it's still good. There's nothing you can do to change that. And if you're a Christian, Easter is not something for us to just celebrate as like a supernatural fringe story in in the Bible. as like, oh yeah, that happened. No, for us, resurrection is a historical event that becomes a supernatural reality. It's something you can look back in history and say, that happened. And because that happened, everything else is new. Everything else is different. Every day then for us as, as people of Jesus becomes an Easter reminder that I can be made whole, I can be made new. And it's so intense that Paul literally says, 1 Corinthians 15, if you hinge your life on the resurrection and and it turns out to be false, we are fools. We are fools to build our life, our Christian walk on anything except the resurrected Jesus. That we should be pitied, he says. People should feel bad for us if we try to live the Christian life without embracing the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. It's kind of like, like being a Christian without hinging your entire life on the resurrection of Jesus is like having your phone plugged in in a power outage and then complaining that it's dead in the morning. There's no power. There was never any power going to your phone. Now, maybe you have a flip phone and your battery lasts forever, but I don't. 
You know, like I've got a, an iPhone. It just happens to die on a regular basis. And, and that's kind of what Paul is saying. That's what Jesus would say, that, that building your, your Christian life on anything except the resurrected Jesus is trying to live a life that has no power, that has no sustainability, that has no supernatural realities to it. See, I, I grew up, maybe like you did, in an amazing Christian household. I have incredible parents. I love them. They love me. I've got great siblings. I have great extended family. I'm really thankful for the family I have, but that didn't stop me from confusing following the resurrected Jesus with boring, tired, performance-driven religion. And it won't stop you either. It won't stop you either. I needed, there had to be a point, like I, I, I looked back on my journey, I was praying through this, this last week, I looked back on some of the years of my life where I just lived completely devoid of resurrection power, there's no good news at work inside of me, and it got depressing. It was hard. It was exhausting trying to perform my way into the kingdom of God. Now, I remember it was about 14 years ago for me. Maybe you remember it was for you if you've taken that step. I was sitting in a bedroom in a house. I was borrowing for, I was kind of renting from somebody else, and I just opened the Bible. I opened the Bible, maybe for the first time, to genuinely understand it, to genuinely experience Jesus. And I read this story. I read the Gospel of John, and it hit me that I had I had been around good news. Maybe like maybe like you're driving to work, you pass a bunch of churches, you just begin to become a Christian by osmosis. But that's not how this whole thing works. And I remember I had to have an encounter with Jesus for myself. I had to surrender. For myself, I had to take a step towards him and say, that's good news for, for John Gorbett. That's good news for me. That, that, that story, the resurrection, it became good news. Here's the crazy thing about this story. This was not the first time that Mary and Jesus had been a part of a resurrection before. If you go back in the story, scroll back nine chapters, John 11. Mary has a brother named Lazarus. And Lazarus is chronically ill, and he has a terminal diagnosis on his life. Lazarus is going to pass away. And like you would if you had the ability, right? You would do anything possible to save that family member, anything possible to save that loved one. And so Mary says, you know what? I'm going to find where Jesus is. I'm going to go to him. I know he can heal. I know he can rescue. I know he can make new things out of, out of broken things. I know that he can restore life. I am going to go to him and ask, will you please heal my brother? He's going to die. I don't know how long the journey takes from where she was to, to where Jesus was, but she put in some effort. She put in some time. She reaches Jesus. She shares this news. Jesus is impacted, but it takes him too long for a variety of reasons to get to Lazarus, and Lazarus passes away. It's final. The tomb is shut. And Jesus gathers some of the family around, Mary, Martha, maybe friends, other family members. And he says these words. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He defines his identity in his own words. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe 
that I am the resurrection of life. Not that I can give you life, not that I can just heal, not that I can just be a great teacher. Do you believe the good news that I am in my person, the resurrected body of Jesus? Like I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And he walks up to a dead man's tomb and he says, just like he says Mary's name, he says, Lazarus, come out. You know what no one is expecting in that scene? Lazarus to come out. <laughs> you know, like, okay, Jesus, I love, I love what you're doing here. I love the metaphor. I love the illustration. But I, I know that my brother in there is actually dead. He's not just asleep. He's actually gone. Until you hear a rock start to move and a guy named Lazarus walk out of the tomb. And then Jesus' words probably are ringing in their heads, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And just like he, he walks with Mary through that scene and through this garden scene, and, and just as the risen Lord appears to Mary and it's good news, that is what's on the table for you and for me today. That's what Easter's about. You may say, yeah, 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 okay. John, you're a pastor. You don't get it. You don't get what I've been through. You don't get the last year, the last week. And they say, yeah, but John, I've dealt with crippling anxiety and stress for all of my life. I can't even picture my personality without being worried or stressed all the time. You know what Jesus says to you today is that I've got good news. Maybe you sit there and say, I've carried this secret, this sexual shame, this brokenness in my body for 10, 15 years. No one else knows about it. I can't imagine letting go of that or being healed from that pain. You know what Jesus says to you is, I've got good news. I'm not sure where you're at. Maybe you find yourself, you said, yeah, but John, I've wrapped my identity so tightly in my sales number, so tightly in my business that I, my identity in Christ fluctuates based on Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, I can't imagine who I would be without what I've accomplished in my life. And Jesus says the same thing to you. He says, I've got good news for you. You may sit there and say, yeah, but John, you don't know my ex. You don't know her. You don't know him. Like time and time again, the betrayal, the broken trust, the heartache, the wounds, I don't even know how God would begin to free me from the hurt and the pain in that relationship. I think Jesus says to you too, I've got good news. Got good news for you. See, you don't have to take my word for it. Jesus has radically changed my life. He can radically change yours. I want you to hear firsthand a story from someone in our church who has experienced this good news for themselves. Why don't you check out the screen? We started attending church when I was in about the second grade, a kind of go when we felt like it type of thing. And as I entered high school, my parents started to deepen their walk with Jesus, and I chose to walk away from him arm in arm with none other than the devil himself. At age 15, I started drinking alcohol and having sex. As I began to weave this deadly web, my parents continued their walk with Jesus, and I wanted no part of it. And at 18, I moved out, and the months that followed were a complete blur. And in August of 2007, my life was finally put on pause when I was arrested for drunk driving. 
I'll never forget the phone call to my mom asking if I could move back home, and she agreed under the condition that I'd attend church weekly with the family. A few weeks after I moved in, my parents were baptized. A month after that, I started dating a guy, and I just knew that he was different. About four weeks after we started dating, he sat in a courtroom as I appeared before a judge in a blue jumpsuit and shackles. I spent eight days in jail over Christmas for failing to attend one of my court hearings, and yet this guy had showed up for me after only four weeks. Two and a half years of friendship and love ensued, and we were engaged in May of 2010, and I was comfortably numb. I was 21 and could drink legally now, but it made it no less toxic. And in September of 2010, I shattered the hearts of my fiance and both our families through our addiction. Family was disappointed, heartbroken, and like strangers, and I was alone. And yet I felt God nudge me. The Lord just placed people in my life, but people who did call me out and say, what are you doing? And I think those people are the ones that really made me question my life and where I was and where I was going. I knew it was gonna be a tough road cleaning up the massive mess of distrust and disrespect that I had created. As we continued to have hard conversations and truth came out, I, I knew I couldn't do it alone. And I just surrendered everything over to God. I had been in church for nearly three years because I had to, and at times were so hungover, I'd only remember some of the worship songs, but seeds had been planted. So as I lay there face down at the gates of hell, Jesus came and rescued my soul. And by the power, strength, grace of God, my ex-fiance forgave me. God wasn't done with us yet, and 12 years later, he's still not done with us. We were baptized together in March of 2011. Jesus welcomed me wide-armed. He didn't wait for me to get sober or to stop sinning or to stop being selfish. He just took me just how I was. Mark and I got engaged again, and we were married in March of 2012. And in 2014, I'd get pregnant with our first child and finally found an excuse to find sobriety. And thankfully, baby two came shortly after, but as Christmas of 2016 neared, I knew there were parties coming up that I'd be tempted to put a drink in my hand. So I declared war. And little did I know that at this exact moment that I chose this sobriety journey, he was expanding our family. Since then, I'll be five years sober in June. If you hear anything today, I just want you to hear this. You can't force someone to hear a message that they're not ready to hear, but you must never underestimate the power of the planted seed. Choosing him is hard, but you don't need to have your life together to find him. We all sin and that we all fall short of the glory of God, but he chooses us anyway. The good news is still good. The good news is still good. It's not just Jen's story. It's not just a bunch of spiritually elite, morally perfect human being story that you can't relate to. That is our story. That can be your story. And the part that you may not know if you're newer to our church is that over the last year, Jen has really encountered Christ in an even more deep way and serves now as our center kids director every week making sure kids know that they're loved and cared for and valued and and discipled and to me and I know her heart would not be and wasn't to 
share her story to elevate her, or share her story so that more people sign up or volunteer. Like there's no other motive. Her her heart was to say, this is going to be a hard story to share, but I I want people to understand. No matter where you are, no matter how long you've been around this good news, it can be good news for you. It's still good. If you read the end of how John finishes this chapter. John 20, verse 30 says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The only thing required of you to encounter this good news for yourself is belief. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you find yourself at a place today in which your clearest next step is full surrender to the Lord, full surrender to the risen Jesus? Because if that is true, then I've got good news for you. I've got good news for you. And so I I wanna encourage us, we're gonna take a moment to pray. I wanna encourage you to discern where are you at? What, what is your step towards good news today? Where, what's your move? What is your next step when it comes to faith? What is, maybe for you today, it is a clear step towards Jesus. It's just saying, you know what? I find myself in a place just like Jen where I've kind of come to the end of my capacity, my abilities, and I need to surrender all to Jesus. And maybe you've done that before too. Maybe that was a decision you made a long, long time ago or a couple years ago. And you just say, you know what, today, Easter 2023, I'm going to stand on that again. I'm going to stand in that decision again. And we're going to kind of go through a prayer together, a really simple prayer, just of belief and of surrender. And I want to encourage you, if if that is you, if, if you know you need to make a clear next step of surrender to Jesus, no matter if you've been around church forever, doesn't matter. So was Jen, so was I but you know it's for you today that you need to embrace this good news. I'm gonna ask you while we lead in that prayer that you would just stand up where you are. You stand up right there, take a bold step, take a bold move to say, I'm gonna stand in this room. I'm gonna stand online. You can put your name wherever you're watching and I'm gonna make that decision today. So would you join me as we pray together? Holy Spirit, thank you for how you're at work. Thank you for moving. Thank you for the good news. Thank you that when we take a step towards you, when we surrender to you, you actually call it a a homecoming. You actually kind of paint our future for us. You share how much good you have in store. You share what it's like to truly follow you. And that the end of the story is not the cross but it actually begins with an empty tomb. It culminates us spending eternity with our heavenly father who loves us and has chased us down in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you know that today you need to take a clear next step of of surrender towards Jesus, I'm gonna ask you as I pray this prayer to stand up. If you pray this with me, if you're praying this for the first time or for the 15th time, I want you to stand where you are. Jesus, I am surrendering my life to you. 
I believe that you rose again for me. I give you my sin, my brokenness, and I exchange it, Lord, for your grace. Help me to follow you all the days of my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit to give me the power of the resurrection every single day. We pray in Jesus' name.